Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. This is Matthew Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Father, thank you for for your word. Um, Again, we just want to continue to lift up um, our our need um, and our trust um, in, in what your word has to say. And so, Lord, we, we also confess that there's, there's somewhat of a, of a gap uh, between what we confess about um, the authority of your word and the, um, and the sufficiency of your word and, and the way that we, we interact with your word. Lord, at least for me, I'm coming before you this morning confessing that, that um, in, my, in my mind, I, I'm convinced of, of how important and how in need of your word that I am. Uh, but, but Lord, on the other, on the other side, I'm, I am so much more prone to trusting my own intuition, um, going to my, to my own, uh, going to different devices, um, for, for, for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Um, and so Lord, by your grace, you've given us even just this, this short time this morning to, to just recenter ourselves on your word. And so may this be a time um, where your word comes alive to us in maybe a, maybe a fresh way um, and, and maybe a, a recommitment or a, or a new commitment from us this morning that would, that would just desire and hunger and thirst uh, for your word. Um, thank you for your grace that, that, that fills that gap between what we say and what we do. Um, may, may we obey you and may we strive um, for righteousness um, in, in this area of obedience um, and walking with you and being faithful. Um, but Lord, we, we do. We rely and we proclaim your grace this morning. Help us to, to learn the things that we need to know and to be the things that you want us to become um, and, to, and to, to help us understand this. We praise you and we thank you for this time in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. As we sing uh, that song, He Will Hold Me Fast. In fact, I'm going to steal uh, somebody's music here. As we, as we sing that song together, I could not help but think about, like, what might this song feel like if we were living in a place like Ukraine today? He will hold me fast. <laughs> that uh, when, when I fear, my faith will fail. Man, the, the, the truth and the power that Christ will hold us fast 
when, when the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful past, for my love is often cold, yet he will hold me fast. Man, just, a, just an opportunity for us to, to be reminded. In fact, this week, as I've, as I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, I, I've, I've not even been able to, to think about what the Sermon on the Mount might mean to Ukrainian believers today. Um, what, what something, the, the way that something like this may rest on them and, and, the, and the comfort that it may bring, some of the challenge that it may bring, but, but I do hope that we can lean into that. And I wanna take some time even before we, we, we get rolling to pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Uh, there are churches there, um, not only there, but around Ukraine and um, on, the, on the outskirts of Ukraine, maybe, maybe not as close to the, to, the, to the chaos and the turmoil that's going on there. Hey, there are Christians in Russia. Can, I, can we just like make sure that we remember that, that we have brothers and sisters faithfully living in Russia under an, an evil and wicked president um, who are, who are and, and we're not, we don't wanna get into all of that, but just wanna remind us that God's work is going on in even the darkest places of the world. And there are churches in these areas who are welcoming those who are fleeing from this. There are those who are feeding the hungry, who are clothing the naked, who are um, welcoming those who are praying and they're living in the midst of all of this. They're not hiding. Um, and so... You should have received um, a prayer guide um, that we handed out. If you didn't, there's a few copies right here. Um, we're gonna actually take some time right now um, to, to, to pray. We won't spend just a, a, a whole lot of time on this, but these are just some, some, some ways. This is a prayer guide um, that was sent out by um, a, just an a, a organization of churches um, that, that gives some really good insight on, on how to pray and how to be mindful uh, but we believe that um, the Lord hears our prayers and that the Lord is near to those um, who are enduring what is being endured there. And so let's just take some time, um, even, even silently, um, and then in just a moment, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for us. Father, you, you do not guarantee uh, that, that our lives will be without suffering. Um, you never promise a, a turmoil-free walk with you. Um, and, and sometimes this is really hard in our limited minds um, to, to comprehend. Uh, we, we do ask the question, why? Uh, why? Why do we have to endure these things? But Lord, we... We do proclaim this morning and confess your, your goodness, your power, and your sovereignty, uh, as well as your love and your mercy and your comfort. And so, Lord, this morning we, we pray for those um, who, are, who are experiencing what they're experiencing in, in the East, um, in the Ukraine, and, and um, in, in these various parts of, of the country there. Lord, would you... Would you just bring a, a peace, Lord? We pray for the the church who, um, the, the churches there who have gathered today, <laughs> Lord. It is it is a 
it is not a question in their minds um, how important and how significant this time is. Um, And so, Lord, help us where we often grow lackadaisical in this, where we uh, where we where we wonder, Lord. Thank, again, thank you for your grace in those spaces. Uh, but but Lord, in in the minds of of those believers now, they they know maybe more than ever that what you have given us in this time as as a body of believers coming together to worship, to to hear the word of God preached, and to fellowship together, to pray together, to break bread together. Lord, they 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 are seriously feeling the the grace that you have afforded to us um, in calling us to do this. Would you strengthen their faith here? Um, Would you help us um, to to be deeply committed to walking with you? Um, Would you you help us to to be mindful this week in our prayers of those in the Ukraine, um, those who are are suffering um, under under the the turmoil and the the warfare there? Um, would Would you bring souls to, to you? Would you draw people to yourself? Um, and Lord, we just, we just, we don't really know how to pray, but, but Father, we do pray for comfort um, and for peace there. We love you, and um, we, we look forward to, to seeing what your word says today. In your name, amen. Okay, um, as you know, the best thing for you to do is to follow right along in your Bible. And so whether that's a digital copy, whether that's a physical copy, um, this morning we're zoning in on Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and it says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so we're going to do this pretty much every week in the Beatitudes especially, but this quick recap is that, is that Jesus is a, is a real king who rules over a real kingdom. Um, and, and so what he's doing here, what he's, what, he is, um, what he's doing in this sermon and in these Beatitudes is Jesus, as the king, he's giving us what the vision for and what the way is of life in this kingdom. And so if he's the king over this kingdom, he gets to be the one that calls all the shots and all the rules. And so he is telling us that that's a very important, you wonder why I say that every week, because it's really important as we move forward through the sermon that he's the one who calls the shots, not us. Um, and so in today's text, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so what Jesus is saying, what we've established when we talk about this blessed are, or blessed, um, yeah, these blessed are those, or blessed are the ones, um, what we've kind of established with that is that Jesus is saying that that the height, that the, the, the highest experience of human happiness and experience falls within what follows. And so this is what life looks, this is what a satisfied life looks like. This is what a truly happy life looks like. And he does it in some pretty weird ways, doesn't he? He says, happiest are those who mourn. Happiest are those who are poor in spirit. Happiest are those who are meek. And he says today, happiest are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And so Jesus is saying that the height of human happiness, the height of human satisfaction is experienced when we hunger and we thirst for what? 
righteousness. Very good. And that when our deepest longing and when our deepest craving is after righteousness, look what follows. He promises that we will experience satisfaction. And so it actually seems kind of circular or redundant, doesn't it? So we've, we've kind of taken what, 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 we, what, what we can best do with the translation of blessed are, We've kind of taken the best that we can do with that and said, it means satisfaction. This kind of seems, if we, if we work off of that, this kind of seems circular or redundant, that satisfied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, rather than being redundant, I believe what this does is it actually causes us to see the importance of what Jesus is saying. There is some maybe intentional redundancy here. He's saying, satisfied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that is the height of human satisfaction. That's what he's saying. Now we're gonna try to understand and explain what that means. Repetition isn't always bad. We've talked about that before. Repetition isn't always bad, and it's actually a common approach in the scriptures to highlight that something's really significant when something's repeated, when something is said more than once. And so it feels like, it really feels like every single week, I am convinced that like, this is the hinge beatitude. I've, you've probably, you're probably like, okay, Nathan, every, everything's the most important thing. Like you say that this is the thing that everything hinges on. I really kind of feel that way about this week. Next week, I'm gonna feel that way too. But today, I really feel that way, okay? Um, but that's just the nature and the glory of Jesus, isn't it? Everything that Jesus says is the most important thing, right? Um, everything that I say is not the most important thing. Yet Jesus, because he's Jesus, he can do that. Everything that he says is the most important. And so today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is the most important, okay? That's, that's uh, theory number one. And so we're gonna try and wrap our minds around this today. We're gonna, just gonna do some work today. Um, but, but here is the danger, especially in a verse like this, that, that, that we would merely come to an intellectual understanding or that we would merely attempt to master this as a concept and not actually experience it. In fact, I think that's what is directly implied by this verse, that we would not merely perceive Jesus intellectually, but that we as disciples of Jesus would seek after him with a deep affection and a deep adoration, right? You see what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a way for us to know what we need to know about God without actually having a hunger and a thirst for God. Can I tell you that's a temptation of mine as I prepare sermons, as I preach, to somehow figure out how to explain this concept without my heart and without my mind hungering and thirsting after God? And can I tell you that when I, when I have done that and probably will do that again in the future, I'm, my prayer is that it's not the case today, when I have done that, can I just tell you, I don't feel very satisfied like I could preach a great sermon and I could communicate something, but I haven't hungered and thirsted after God and there is still something left wanting within me. And that may be the case for us in a lot of ways. And so that's the danger here is that we would simply try to understand. Today, the goal is to understand what he means by righteousness. I'll put that all out there. We're kind of really focusing on this word righteousness because it's kind of confusing. Um, and so... 
That is what we are in danger of, that we would merely perceive just intellectually, but that we would not seek after him with this deep affection and deep adoration and this deep longing. In fact, to put it provocatively in the way that Jesus says it, that we would hunger and that we would thirst after righteousness. That we would hunger and thirst after righteousness. The writer of Ecclesiastes I think, gets us off on a good start on, on understanding what Jesus is addressing here. This is what Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. And this is what Augustine, St. Augustine says. St. Augustine says, thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. And so you've, you've got the writer of Ecclesiastes, you've got one of the, the earliest church fathers who are addressing something that's universal. And what is that? It, longing. Longing is the universal experience of humanity. We need to understand that. Uh, Jesus is assuming that we know this. He's assuming that, that we are aware that every human being who has ever been created, raise your hand if you're a human being who's been created, every human being who has ever been created, the universal experience of us all is a longing. So that's not just the truth about those who are followers of Jesus. It's not just the, that true of those who follow one of the other world religions. Everything that underlies everything in us is the result of a longing. And that's what Ecclesiastes is saying, that God has put eternity into man's heart. And so why is this the universal experience of humanity? Because God is our creator. God is creator. God is creator of those in this part of the world. God is creator of those in this part of the world. God is creator of those Everywhere, And the reason why that longing is the universal experience of humanity is because God has created us. He's created us in his image. He has created every human being. He has placed within us a longing. And here's the truth, friends. That longing is intended and only satisfied when it is filled with him. Only in, it is only satisfied completely when it is filled with him. However... Mankind attempts to fill this longing with all sorts of things, don't we? Like we try to fill this longing. So, so those things that you have filled your life with that you thought maybe this will satisfy and then it didn't, that confirms what the scriptures say. Eternity has been placed within your heart and you can't make sense of what's going on. But we are attempting to fill this longing with all sorts of things. And so here's, here's my challenge for us. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this, but here's the challenge. The challenge that I have for us this morning is to take some time this week or today to evaluate in what ways, to evaluate in what ways we are attempting to satisfy these desires. I mean, that's a, like, that's a, the ball is in your court. In what ways are we attempting to fill this longing within us? Is it work? Is it success? I know there's a lot of kids in here. Is it, you know what? <laughs> there's this longing in us, relationships. What is it that we are attempting to fill this 
eternity-sized hole in us from Ecclesiastes, what is it we are attempting to put there? And how is it doing with satisfaction? That's an important question. And it's an extremely important question. It's a vital question. It is vital because the scriptures will continually, specifically point us to our propensity to seek satisfaction in other things. It's gonna constantly show us that. I mean, you got the writer of Ecclesiastes. That's, what, that's pretty much what the whole book is about. Like, I've got everything, and yet it's all vanity. It's all vanity. So it's a vital question. In fact, Isaiah, we're going, we're going to kind of spend some time in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verse two and three says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make, you, make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is a, an extremely important question and there is a whole sermon to be preached upon that, on misguided affections. But here's the thing. I don't, want to, I don't want to spend too much of our energy on that this morning. There's a, there's a sermon to be preached. I'm sure that will come up at some point in Matthew when we say things like seek first the kingdom of God, when, when, we, when we encounter some different places in the, it, through the sermon. But here's where I do want to spend our time this morning. Here's where we're going. My assumption this morning is that if you're here in this room, you... I'm talking personally, I know I'm speaking to the whole room, but I'm also speaking personally to everybody. My assumption is that if you're here, you have a desire and are striving for a life that pleases God. Could we agree and say amen? Am I believing the best about you in that? That you are striving and hoping and doing all that you can to live a life that honors God. I wanna obey him, I wanna follow him. So that's my assumption, that, that, that you desire to live a life that honors and pleases God. Imperfectly, imperfect as we are, we here are folks who desire to follow God and to obey him and to live with a deep satisfaction in the Lord. And so here's the thing. My goal this morning is not to analyze and diagnose what all of these misguided affections are, which again, we may, we may get to that, but to simply offer some ways to cultivate a deeper longing for the Lord. Does that sound helpful? Does that sound like, okay, Nathan, we're here. We, we wanna follow the Lord. It's been a really bad week. I've sinned a lot, um, but, but I'm here and I, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna honor him with my life. And so let's talk about some things that will help us do that, that will help us cultivate that. But, but th- this is the thing that we should explore because Jesus promises that when we do hunger and thirst for what is right, we experience satisfaction. And so it is only right for us to consider some ways on how to cultivate that. But before we get there, we've got to look at what he means by righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, this is a really important question because righteousness shows up a lot of times in the sermon. Six, to be exact. Maybe, maybe more, depending on your translation. I don't know if, if there's some other places, but in my translation, um, righteousness appears twice in the Beatitudes, here in verse six and again in verse 10. 
And then it appears another four times in the remainder of the sermon. Verse, uh, chapter five, verse 20, chapter six, verse one, and chapter six, verse 33. And so we, we may see the clearest understanding of righteousness later on in chapter five, but we're not gonna get to that just yet. But for those of us, for those of you with a familiarity with the scriptures, righteousness is something that may be understood in a couple ways. So I'm just gonna kind of give you a quick summary of, of righteousness in the way that we can understand it. When you see the word righteousness, it can mean a couple of different things. Um, and it, it's, they're both biblical ways to understand what righteousness is. Um, and so one way that we can understand righteousness is living in such a way that honors God, that we would live in a way that honors God, that we can see righteousness and understand righteousness as obedience to what he says to do, that we would obey what he says. The other way that we should understand righteousness and more fundamental, I would say, is imputed righteousness. Not righteousness that we earn, not righteousness that we even obey enough to receive, but righteousness that is given to us not because of what we do or who we are, but because of the grace of God. Those are ways that we understand righteousness. Some ways that we refer to imputed righteousness is justification or salvation. Um, So those are are some of those ways. And so you have righteousness as obedience, and then you have righteousness as salvation. In both, the Bible uses both words, uh, the same word to explain two different thoughts, two different ideas. And so there is a righteousness that is that we receive passively, meaning like Jesus gives it to us. It is a free gift of God. Nothing that we can earn, nothing that we've done. And so there's a righteousness that we receive passively and there's a righteousness that we pursue actively. You see that? You don't have to agree, but you, you understand what I'm trying to, to establish here? That's gonna be really important. In fact, in verse 10 of this chapter, to see kind of this active righteousness in verse 10 of this chapter, we see that there is a result of living in a righteous way. And this doesn't mean being persecuted only due to the fact that you're a Christian. When, when, when Jesus later in verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not just saying that you're gonna be persecuted because you're a Christian. You, you, you are a Christian, but he, what, he is, what he is saying there is that this is persecution as a result of living in such a way, a righteous way that is at odds with the world, that is in obedience to Jesus. And, and I would submit to you that directly following that, salt and light, the salt of the earth, like that is supporting what Jesus just says. You are the salt of the earth. And what, what we're not gonna get too much in this, but Matthew 5, 13 and 14, this is a warning like this isn't like a, a happy, uh, like a happy verse. Like this is a warning. Like you are in danger of losing your effectiveness in the world when you do not obey Jesus and you do not live in such a way. You can lose your saltiness. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. That's not what that's saying. But you can lose your effectiveness in the world based on how you live and obey and follow Jesus. And so here's what I want us to do. I want to give us three ways that we should understand righteousness holistically and comprehensively. Um, I, think, I think all three of these things are at play when Jesus promises blessing to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so there are, here are three angles of righteousness, and we're gonna explain them. I'm gonna give you the three, and then we're gonna explain them. First is righteousness from us. Secondly is righteousness around us. 
Thirdly is righteousness for us. These are three angles of righteousness that when we see them in the scriptures, how we should understand righteousness. So first is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, this is a righteousness from us. Simply put, doing what is right. Doing what's right. Doing the thing that God has called you to do in obedience as a follower of Jesus. Summed up, again, this is a desire to live in a pure and holy way before God. To live in a a, a way before God that says, God, I am submitted to whatever it is that you call me to do. Whatever you call me to do, that's what I'm after. And so an implication of this that we would, that we would actually, ex, or, an, or an implication of this that we would actually experience is that we would actually experience a dissatisfaction with where we are in our walk with God. Have you ever been in that place? Have you ever been in a place where you are, you are somewhat dissatisfied with where you are in your walk with God? Lord, like I'm a, I'm a sinner. I, not, not in a way of shame, but positively in a way that hungers more for the presence of God. Have you found yourself in that place? Have you ever found yourself Holy discontent. Have you, have you experienced a holy discontentment? Lord, I'm a, like I'm a sinner. And maybe not even like in overt, explicit ways, but Lord, like I'm, man, you've called me into relationship with you. And, and if I treated my relationship with, if I, if I treated my relationship with my wife the way that I treat my relationship with you, things would not be going so well. And so you, you, you have this, this desire to, to live in such a way that glorifies and honors God in obedience. This can be present in us as we repent. This seems to be where David is in Psalm 51. He is repenting of his sin, but he's also addressing all sorts of other things. He's like, man, I've, I've strayed far from you. It's not, he says explicitly in Psalm 51, it's not just this one sin that I'm bringing for you. I'm coming before you as a sinner, what we've said here before, you don't, um, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And we've, we've, we've referenced that before. And so there's this, there's this desire within the heart of David to follow God in a righteous way. We see Paul in Romans chapter 7. We see, we see him at, at battle with the indwelling sin within him, don't we? We see him in Romans 7 say, hey, man, the things, that I, like, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And he's like, we feel that. And so when we think about what righteousness from us looks like, here's, here's a danger. It could be real easy to not get bogged down. Or it could, it could be real easy not only to get bogged down, but, forget to, but to forget the gospel. That we would forget the gospel because ultimately your salvation has nothing to do with what comes from you. Can I tell you the only thing that comes from you that helps you with salvation? Anybody know? Your sin. Your sin is the only thing you contribute to your salvation. And it's like that doesn't do anything to purchase your salvation. It's the grace of God. It's what we call it the imputed righteousness. We have the imputed righteousness of God and Jesus, or we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus and Jesus has the imputed unrighteousness of us. We, he's put on us his righteousness and we have given him our sin. And so it's, it's easy to, to think about this righteousness from us and to forget what the gospel says, is that you are not a child of God because of works. You are not a child of God because of your goodness or your place in the world, but because of the grace of God. And, and let me remind you, and this is something else we say often, the gospel is not against our effort. The gospel is not against our effort. You know what the gospel is against? The gospel is against our earning. 
The gospel is against our earning, not our effort. Hey, James will be very clear. Faith without works. And when he says works, it's not just some secular creed or, or something that the, that the world puts on us. It is the things that God has called you to do. Faith without works is dead. Paul will tell us as a way of righteousness from us to put on godliness. He tells us that in his letters, put on godliness. John will tell us as a way of righteousness and obedience to walk in the light. Walk in the light. Simply put, obey Jesus. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. A hunger and a thirst for this kind of righteousness is a sign of spiritual life. It's a sign of vitality. The second thing that we see is not only righteousness from us, but, but what we should hunger for, this righteousness that we should hunger for where satisfaction meets us is not only a righteousness from us, but a righteousness around us. A righteousness around us. Essentially this, seeking what is right. Seeking what is right in the world around us. Summed up is a desire to do justice. In fact, some of your versions here actually use the word justice instead of righteousness. Some, some, some versions um, say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. And, and listen, like when you hear that word, this is, this is one of those warnings we gave in the very first Sermon of the Beatitudes. We, remember we started at the end of the Sermon on the Mount to, to make sure that we kind of got on the same page about what Jesus is about to say. When you hear justice, don't think worldly justice. You know, the, the word social justice is something that is, is, we're very sensitive to. But again, the Bible speaks the first word about justice. And so when we, when we hunger and we thirst for this righteousness around us, it is a desire to seek what is right in the world. Righteousness, as we will see in the remainder of this sermon, doesn't only deal with the right relationship between us and God. Not only a vertical, there's not only vertical implications of righteousness, there's horizontal implications of righteousness. When we are righteous and we are right with God, we are right with those around us. And we seek after helping to make things right for those around us. Righteous living changes us, but it also changes the communities around us. Cities, relationships, cultures, spaces are better when righteousness is in us. How can I say that? Well, I don't say it by my own authority. Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness has far-reaching effects. It has far-reaching effects. It not only makes right this way, but it seeks for what is right this way. And so this kind of hungering and thirsting for righteousness has all of these things in mind that we would, we would, um, we would hunger for righteousness from us, we would hunger for righteousness around us, and ultimately is this. Ultimately is this, these other things cannot exist. I will just say, like no matter what, what good things may seem to come from secular humanitarian efforts, the Bible's gonna be clear with us on, on what that looks like to God. But the, the, the ultimate thing that we long for and that we hunger for in righteousness is not a righteousness from us, it's not a righteousness around us, but a righteousness for us. You understand what I'm saying about, by that? A righteousness for us, that we would be made right. 
Summed up, our greatest need is a righteousness that does not come from us, that does not affect around us, but a righteousness that, that is made for us. In fact, without this righteousness, let me tell you what, what things look like without this kind of righteousness. Without these, this kind of righteousness, these other understandings of righteousness, they don't exist and they can't exist. The Bible tells us they are as filthy rags before the Lord even the good deeds. And so, we, so the, question, the question begs to ask, what good is coming from these places? Maybe there is, maybe there is societal change that's going on, but what the scripture makes clear is that without a righteousness for us, imputed to us, that anything that we do is filthy. And that's, that seems hard, that seems uncharitable, that seems like that's not fair, but that's what the scriptures tells us. Jesus is preaching and intends this sermon only to those who will receive a righteousness that cannot come from within them, cannot be earned, and cannot be worked for. This is the righteousness that we need. This is the righteousness. And the Bible tells us is that Jesus is our righteousness. He is our righteousness. Like righteousness is not a, a theory or an idea. Righteousness in this context of a righteousness for us is a person. Jesus, he is our righteousness. This is a righteousness that only he can give. If we could, if we could put these other two things listed before this in their proper place, and if we, understand, if we understood them perfectly, we would say it like this. We work from grace and not for grace, right? We work from grace. We have been saved to do good works. That's not just Jesus. That's Paul saying it. That's, that's James uh, re-emphasizing that, that point that we are saved not just to sit, but saved in order to do good works. And again, not just good works, good deeds, to obey Jesus, to obey what he has said and what his word lays out for us. And so we work from grace and not for grace. We strive for a righteousness from us and around us that only flows from a righteous given, righteousness given to us. And that's it. When Jesus talks about righteousness, when the Bible talks about righteousness, these are, these are ways that we should understand it. And, it's, and here's the deal. It's really easy to, to kind of chop these things up in these three different points and try to figure out at what point is Jesus talking about what? You know, like at, at what point, you know, when Jesus says righteousness here, what word is he using and what does he mean by righteousness here? There's some, there's some important things, especially as we get into Paul's letters, like Paul will speak of righteousness most often in such a way that is essentially this righteousness for us. But, but in, our, in our human minds, what we tend to do is we, we tend to try to chop these things up too much. We don't have a category for a righteousness that would affect every area of our life. The, the, those, who had originally, those who would have originally been hearing this would not have known that, oh, righteousness isn't supposed to affect the way that I live with those around me. And righteousness is, 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 is not something that should change the way that, I, the way that I live and that I walk after and strive to obey Jesus. They're not separating those things like we often do. And so when we hear righteousness, when we hear Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they, for they shall be satisfied. And so here's four things. I I have to be honest, I completely stole these four things from somebody else, but they were really helpful. 
What are, I want to give you four ways, and I, I don't have any information on any of them. There's just four straight points. How to cultivate or increase this kind of longing. How do we cultivate this kind of longing within us? Well, let me just first say this. Like, it doesn't just happen to you. It doesn't just happen to you. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. Disciples of Jesus obey Jesus. And we're gonna see that in these things. So how to cultivate or increase this kind of longing within you? Hey, we can't do it apart from this. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is we can't do that apart from reading this and studying this and, and being mastered by this, not mastering this, but being mastered by this. And so the first way that you may experience a cultivation of this kind of longing after the Lord and this hunger and thirsting for what is right is by reading your Bible. Man, it's amazing how many times I try to follow the Lord without being just deeply ingrained in this. Like I read, I read commentaries and I listen to podcasts and I do all of these things and I will formulate all of these ideas without ever addressing what is it that the Lord has to say. And, and, and not, just as a, not just as a Bible reading plan either. Not just, those are good and they're helpful and they can really, they can actually help cultivate some of these things. But man, really being in the word, maybe just finding a chapter and saying, you know what? Actually, every day this week, I'm gonna read this one chapter, like every single day, over and over. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, the way that I heard this guy say it is start with the book of John and read 15 verses at a time. Read 15 verses at a time, read them, pray, marinate on them, write them down, read them again. The second thing that we can, can do in order to cultivate or increase this kind of longing is to live obediently, <laughs> to live in obedience. Uh, and I, that, that feels like it's reinforcing what, what we've just said, but that we, would, that we would obey Christ. That we would obey what his word has to say. The third thing, it's kind of a, of, a, of, a, of a little bit more challenging maybe to some, surround yourself with people who will encourage your faith. Like, 10 years ago, I, I, didn't, I didn't have just a whole lot of natural conversations about faith until Robbie Shelton came along. And, and then he started just getting in my face saying, hey, how's your walk with the Lord going? I was like, don't ask me that. Like, that's none of your business. But it is, it is his business. It is your business how my walk with the Lord's going. How, how natural and how common are conversations about the Lord in your circles? Think about the conversations that you're having throughout your day. Are you intentionally putting yourself around people who will encourage your faith? And then lastly, this is important. This is where we were going earlier. I said, we don't have time to preach a sermon on it today, but it's a sermon that needs to be preached. Fourthly is identify your idols. Identify those, identify those things in your life that don't cultivate this hunger and this thirst for the Lord, but that actually take away from this hunger and thirst for the Lord. Hey, Jesus people, Jesus followers follow Jesus. They obey Jesus. They, they read his word. They, they surround themselves with, with those who are encouraging their faith. They identify those things that are taking away from those things. I wanna close with these two verses from Psalm. Psalm chapter 42, one through two. Would somebody read that? Psalm 42, one and two. 
And then Psalm 63, one through three. Lord, help us to, um, to hunger and thirst after you, but Lord, also after, after righteousness. We know that there's, there's not, a, not a heavy distinction between these two things, but, but God's righteousness. As, as Matthew chapter 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, Lord, help us in this way. Help us to to hunger and to thirst after you as you have called us to do, as has been the example of of the the fathers of the faith in the Old Testament all the way through the letters that are written by the apostles in the New Testament. That That we would follow you, that we would obey you, and in so doing, a hunger and a thirst for you would result and that we would experience the promise um, that we will be satisfied, that we will experience a measure of satisfaction now. And Lord, that we will experience a, an incomparable satisfaction for all of eternity when we are with you because we have been saved by you. We've received from you a righteousness that we did not earn or deserve but Lord, that there will, there will also be a, a reward for those who obey you and who follow you. Um, and we don't know what that, what that looks like, but we know that our, when our faith becomes sight, that all of the hardships, all of the struggles, all of the, all of the times where you gave us the strength to follow you, even when it was hard, will be for us a time where we can look back and we can say, thank you, Lord, for your sustaining grace. And so Lord, give us strength this week to follow you, to obey you. Give us a a hunger and a thirst to to see righteousness flow from us in, in our obedience, to see righteousness result around us because of what you've done in us. And then ultimately, Lord, either a thankfulness for the righteousness that you've given to us or Lord, for those who may not know you, a conviction and a wooing from you um, that, that would cause them to receive what you have given to us through the righteousness of Jesus. We praise you and we love you. And may we, even now as we come to the table, may it be a, may it be a impactful reminder of where our righteousness lies, not in what we bring, because again, we come to the table empty-handed, but in what we receive when we come to you broken and empty. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.